Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. So where do you park, Elizabeth? Wherever I can. But <laughs> sometimes when I get there, my car's but, not there But I mean, anymore. like when you're trying to get the train or something, where do you park? Well, I actually use this cool app, so it gives me a parking spot, and I don't get towed. All right. That well, sounds like magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of which, we're here with Joe Colangelo from Boxcar, an exciting new app for people who want to park. And welcome to the show tonight. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about Boxcar. Boxcar really focuses on helping suburban commuters. And the primary way that we do that is there's about 55 train stations throughout New Jersey where if you move to a town, even if you buy a house, they say, I'm sorry, but you can't park here. You have to wait you know, five years until you get a parking permit. And I just want to say, coming from Atlanta, that was a complete shock to me that you actually had to buy a parking pass to park at the train station. Right? And you couldn't get one. And you couldn't get one, right. I mean, you had to wait in line. So this solves that problem. Yeah, so we partner, you know, the, these wonderful towns all throughout the suburbs, all throughout America, they grew up around train stations. They have churches, American legions, VFWs, all of these parking lots near the train station. And Monday through Friday, a lot of those sit empty. And so kind of like Airbnb helps you monetize an extra asset, you know, like a house. We partner with those property owners, and a lot of them are churches and nonprofits, and we rent out their parking. So as a commuter, you can download the Boxcar app, and you can reserve a parking spot in over 35 towns for 5 6 $7 a day and have a guaranteed spot no matter what time you show up to the train station in the morning and know that your car is safe. And then we take that money and we give 75% of it to the property owner. So do you have any requirements about parking headfirst or backing into the spot? Uh, no. no, no. Or, uh, is that a big problem for you, Richard? Well, it kind of. I, I have never backed into a spot in my entire life. Yes, you have. <laughs> when well, I, I can't it, do it, I, I know, say, you Richard, come back You asked me to do it the other day. <laughs> what if you have to make a fast getaway? You never know. Yeah, so you've really grown this pretty quickly. Thanks. When did you start this business? Early 2016. I really started thinking about this as an idea. This was a very solid idea, uh, the same way that other companies and marketplaces had rented out uh, physical assets and met them with consumer demand and taken a commission in between. You know, why hadn't someone done this for parking? So I spent six months basically looking at every single person who had tried to do this. And every Airbnb for parking, you know, had failed, and I wondered why. So I spent time calling them, asking them why they failed. I rented my first parking spot, which was my driveway in late 2016. March 2017, I left my job, started doing this full-time, and we launched our app in April 2017. And how many users do you have now? Over 6,000. Wow. So how did you get so many people so fast? First off, our product is 10 times better than the competition because in towns where you can't park, any parking spot, no matter the cost or distance, is, is a 10 times improvement. And so for every parking spot we get, six and a half people use it on an annual basis. So we have 1,000 parking spots. We have about 6,500 customers. And, you know, the way that we're able to do that is we've got a lot of marketing channels, but a lot of the towns help us out get with getting the word out because they want to solve their problem as much as we do. So for our listeners who are going, wow, this is so cool. Where can I get it? It's Boxcar app, like Boxcar, like train Boxcar app. If you search the App Store, Apple iPhone, or Android, just the word boxcar, we're the first result. So do you go out and make a deal with the church or the grocery store parking lot ahead of time? How does it kind of work from the back end? Yes, people don't just start showing up and they're wondering why their parking lot suddenly <laughs> <laughs> So we'll call them and we'll say, hey, you know, here's, this, here's what we do. Uh, we do it in nearby towns or nearby properties. 
you have these 20 extra parking spots. We think that might make you up to $2,000 a month. And here's the you know very easy agreement to sign. Uh, we can cover you under our insurance policy. And if at any time you don't like this, uh, we'll turn it off. But these are your parking spots. You can tell us what to do with them. But if you do choose to go with Boxcar, you're not going to have to lift a finger. We handle the technology, the payments, the customer service, dealing with the municipalities. And you just have to worry about getting where you're going to send that money at the end of the month. Wow, you thought of everything. Has anybody's car ever been stolen or damaged? Whose responsibility is that? Very much like commercial parking lots. You're parking at your own risk, but you know we've done over 100,000 parkings now, and so far, no major problems. You know, every once in a while, I think, wow, somebody should do this. I honestly never thought about this, and I'm just wondering, how did you come up with this idea? What brought it to forefront of your mind? I think coming up with ideas is something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. And, you know, there's this idea that they have to come up with a really good one and then invest a lot of resources behind that. I don't think that's how it generally works. You know, people even look at Mark Zuckerberg and they say, of course, a social network that was exclusive, like what a great idea. They don't realize that he had built over 10 different apps and launched them to the world. He built an app that connected his father, who was a dentist, with their patients. We often don't know which ones are going to succeed. And so by trying them and you know giving them parameters to succeed or fail, eventually he tripped into one, uh, which was an evolution of face mash that made a lot of money. I think that some of the best ideas are in very uninteresting places where not a lot of people in technology are looking. And so the suburbs to me is a really exciting place because I live there, I grew up there, and I think that a lot of people who are founding technology companies completely ignore the suburbs. And so by focusing there, I was able to see a very low-hanging fruit problem. People can't park at the train station. They, they couldn't park there 10 years ago. They couldn't park there 30 years ago. There's always been a wait list. So a very low-cost way to implement that solution was see if I can get somebody to pay to rent out my driveway, which was real close to the train station. And they did. And so then I found another couple of driveways, another couple of parking properties, and I was able to rent those out too. And I did it all with Excel spreadsheets and email. And I got that up to about $1,000 a week in revenue without any technology other than manually charging people's cards, meeting them at a coffee shop to collect a check, uh, things like that. So it was very manual and that helped me prove that this idea was worth pursuing. And so once we had $1,000 a week in sales, I was able to say, this is good. I can see that this is going to spread to 55 towns in New Jersey, another 60 on Long Island, another 75 in Westchester and Fairfield County. And then that's just the start of it. I've tried a lot of things like that. And a lot of them don't take off in the manual pre-technology implementation phase. This one was like a wildfire. Wow. So fantastic that you're actually test marketing your concepts. And then you found one that worked. So did you have any investment behind you or was this complete and total bootstrap. I started it with my own funds, my own time. And once I saw that it was working, I raised a million dollars to help launch it back in early 2017. Wow. So what are your revenues now? So we do about a million dollars a year in revenue and we're growing about 25% every quarter. That's fantastic. That's really good because it's only been like not even three years completely, right? Right. Yeah, no, it's been two and a half years almost. So how does the pricing work compared to going to a commercial lot? How does it compare? We're generally 55% more expensive than municipal parking. And so in a town like Chatham, New Jersey, they charge $5.50 to park. The problem is it's like trying to get a drink at an open bar. There's a really long line to get that drink because they're free. So supply and demand is kind of thrown out of whack by non-market forces. And so ours is marketplace parking. Mr. Gottesman, the founder of Edison Parking, had a very simple rule. If a lot is selling out, at the end of the month, raise the price a quarter. If it's not selling, lower the price a quarter. And so I'd love to sit here and say that we have a very sophisticated algorithm, but for now, we just look at you know the occupancy in our thousand spots and raise prices or lower prices 
you know, so that there's always spots available for commuters who want them. And how popular is the parking lot for the owner of the parking lot? I mean, do you close a pretty big percentage of potential customers that you approach that way? It's not for everybody. Talking to churches, funeral homes, these are very risk-averse entities. And so we need to convince them, you know, that maybe they've spent a lot of time trying to keep people off of their property. Now we need to convince them to invite them on. And so it's definitely a process. And, you know, if you're a ShopRite and you have parking spots near the train station, you need those parking spots. They're for your shoppers. All of the parking spots near the train station, they can't be commuter spots. They can't be used for, you know, car storage during the day. Um, But for those people that have really good opportunities, like really empty parking lots during the day, it might take six months. It might take nine months to convince them or to go through the archdiocese um, and their bureaucracy. But we generally close them. And we always say we try to play long-term games with very long-term people. We're going to be doing this for another 20 years. We know those churches are going to be on those properties for 20 years. So we don't want to mess around and you know try to be too aggressive with our sales process. So Joe, what has been your biggest challenge with this company? It's been acquiring parking spots. This is a new idea and it's certainly not the most tech-forward region, uh, suburban areas. And so convincing people to list their spots is a process and getting those spots has always been our sales process. So I hired two salespeople in November of last year, and they have really ramped up. And so for the first time, we are adding over 100 spots every month. And now we need to add more customers. So we need to get the word out. Joe Colangelo from Boxcar, CEO, founder, entrepreneur extraordinaire. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. We'll be right back after this message. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gerhardt Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gerhardt Law has years of experience protecting on entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And we have our special guest today, Joe Colangelo, who invented the Boxcar app, which lets suburban commuters reserve a parking spot near the train station. And also, he's adding on other services. I'm not going to tell you what those were because you have to listen to the podcast tomorrow and go back and listen to the first part of this if you want to know. But very cool stuff. So we're going to do some more with Joe and then eventually get on to our pitches. So we had some questions from the people who are going to pitch. So one of them was about co-founders and what it's like to be a single founder. And you were explaining who your co-founders were. So I've been really lucky to have some great co-founders. And they all compliment me in ways that really the sum is greater than the parts, so to speak. So I've had three co-founders. One left very early in the process, but he was instrumental in kind of getting us those first parking spots while I still had a full-time job. Second co-founder has been part-time the entire time. He's our CTO. When you say CTO, what is CTO? So he's our technical co-founder and he's our chief technology officer. And so he built our app and he manages our current development pipeline. 
And so we were able to bring him on at, you know, very little money uh, and equity and his incentives are aligned for the long term. And that's really important for us, uh, for the entire team to be focused. And then uh, a co-founder left after two years and he was very instrumental in teaching me the discipline that I needed to grow this company because a lot of founders like me, you know, we're optimists and we see what's coming up and we see the, the opportunities and, you know, this particular co-founder, Owen, he has been so instrumental in teaching me the discipline necessary to not just grow the business, but to run the business. Besides the financial discipline, were there other things that you feel are important? It is lonely to be a founder, to be a CEO. Nobody's ever going to tell you what you should do. And that's not ingrained in us when we're growing up, right? When we're in school, we get told what to do. And then if you do really well, you can go to college or a very good college. And if you do really well there, you know, there are all these opportunities to just continue performing inside of a system and do well. To go to become an entrepreneur is, is a radical shift from that. And so when you talk about discipline, it's we all are so accustomed to this peer feedback that we think, well, maybe I should go. It's very tempting to go to a conference and say, now I'm speaking at a conference. This must be like the next step. Once you get a little bit of traction, you get invited to speak at lots of conferences and events, and you can spend all of your time doing that and feeling like it's what you should be doing because you're getting all this constant validation that you're doing the right thing. However, when you call people up and try to close a deal and you get rejected, it sucks and it's negative uh, <laughs> feedback. And so the, the biggest discipline uh, that you need to build up as a founder isn't even financial. It's is being able to say no to the easy stuff that sounds like it should be what you do and is what the system encourages and say yes to getting rejected again and again and again and again. And if you can make that choice, you're going to separate yourself from 99% of people who want to start a company. Yeah, I think to be a founder, you really have to be very self-disciplined, very self-motivated, because there's nobody there telling you what to do when you get up in the morning. You have to create a plan and then you have to work the plan. And if it doesn't work, you're the only one that really suffers, or at least your employees or your clients might suffer too. But the point is that it's really up to you. I think that can be a challenge sometimes. So how do you prepare mentally for those kinds of challenges? I'm lucky enough to have a great wife who, you know, I worked while she was in law school and now she's a lawyer. Uh, she's able to supplement our income. Um, I've got five wonderful kids that like really keep me energized and, you know, keep me focused on that discipline. So I've never really had to worry about that discipline because at the end of the day, you know, if I'm not spending time with my family, I better be doing something to make our lives better. Well, if you've got five kids, you know, discipline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm time more to of an arbit diaper. arbiter of discipline uh, <laughs> yeah, on a day-to-day really. -day basis than anything else. Go to your room. <laughs> but what's so encouraging is you started this when you had a family and yes. you had a wife who was in school. So income was not necessarily certain. It seems like you took a little leap of faith to get this started. Yes, there is no great reward in life without great risk. What's the one thing you would tell somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur and start a business? Take stock of what you have in abundance. If you have a lot of time, then do something useful with that time. Um, if you have a lot of money, uh, well, you probably don't want to be an entrepreneur, but uh, <laughs> you don't need to be. <laughs> you don't need to be one. Um, but I always, I always looked at, you know, I've got this time after I put my kids in bed and I can be doing something useful with it. I could try a lot of new ideas and be aware of your weaknesses, read a lot of books, and nothing makes up for what you learn when the rubber actually meets the road. So try the thing that you're thinking of. Just try it. Even if it's an ugly product, even if you have to go door to door and knock on people's doors and say, will you rent out your parking spot and get told no a hundred times? Just do it. And 
that's how you find something new that society hasn't discovered for itself yet. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. So you're Precisely. listening to Passage to Profit. We're here with Joe Colangelo from Boxcar this evening, and we have our pitches coming up right after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law. www.GearheartLaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent present you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special guest this evening, Joe Colangelo, who just got done telling us all about boxcar and how to find parking spots around train stations. Very valuable application. You should definitely check it out. Now we're coming to the pitch part of our program. But before we start the pitches, anyone that's listened to this before knows some vital info. When you're listening to these three pitches, please think about which one you like best and go to the Passage to Profit page on the Gearheart Law website, and you need to scroll down to vote. And I got to tell you, these three pitches are all very different from each other. And that's Gearheart Law, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W. Everyone gets one vote, and the voting is open for a week. So don't forget to like us, too, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And get your friends to vote, and just remember the name of the show by imagining that you're walking down a passage with a huge pot of gold at the end. Passage to profit. And may your passage be short and your profit be huge. And now on to the pitch part of the program. Each contestant now gets two minutes to pitch, followed by a discussion with Elizabeth, myself, and Joe. And the overall best vote getter gets a professionally produced video of their pitch, a $500 value. And it goes on to our YouTube channel. So let's get started. Our first pitch is by Diane Simovich. Welcome, Diane. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here. My name, again, is Diane Simovich. I am founder and president of BW NICE. stands for Business Women Networking Involving Charity and Education. We are a unique women's organization in that we do business networking, but we're tied and connected to charitable outreach. Each of our chapters supports a local domestic violence agency raising awareness and critical funds that they need for client services. We collect donation items based on the needs of the safe and transition housing. So we'll collect everything from baby items to canned goods to pajamas, clothing, Whatever the needs are, we're there for our charity partners. And in addition to that, each chapter holds what's called the Red Shoe. That is our annual fundraising gala in support of our charity partner. It's a wonderful event. It's open to the public, and proceeds from the event go again to client services to support the local charity partner. The Red Shoe symbolizes unity, strength, and empowerment, and honors the journey of all victims and survivors of domestic violence and sexual abuse, because you never understand the struggles and challenges that they go through until you walk in their shoes. 
and I always wear red shoes in honor of all victims and survivors. That's awesome. I'm really glad that there are people doing that. Do you get a lot of corporate sponsors? Well, actually, we have a few sponsors, corporate sponsors, which I'm thrilled to have. Uh, we're domiciled in New Jersey, but we're growing in other states. We do have uh, Unity Bank and Pink Breast Center and Creative Works, a digital marketing company. But that's something that we are focusing our efforts on and hope to get more to support our cause and our mission. So how did the organization start? Well, it started with an idea, exactly <laughs> what we're talking about today. It started with an idea that I had actually many years ago when I was in my corporate life um, in the health insurance industry and in sales and management and living in California. And it just came out of the desire to do something more with women, to connect women to a local charity event, a local cause where we could actually come together, roll up our sleeves, make a difference in the community. In my world at the time, which goes back many, many years, we didn't have that. Everything, you know, it was a golf tournament, which is fine. And they supported large organizations uh, such as United Way and Cystic Fibrosis. Those are great. But we wanted women to connect. I was involved in women's initiatives. We wanted women to connect and have fun and uh, really see a difference, a marked difference in the community. So I co-founded this idea and then ended up moving back home to my New Jersey roots uh, 12 years ago now after going through a number of life events. And I started it from the ground, from scratch with an idea. It took me a couple of years and uh, reinventing myself at age 50 with a little boy adopted from Russia and an 80-year-old mother going, what am I going to do now? And, uh, <laughs> what a handful. <laughs> there I was, and uh, we were lucky enough to launch our first chapter in April of 2009. Diane, um, where do you see this going in the next few years? I have created a national platform, and I see this exploding all over. That's my vision, all over the country. What is the revenue model? Is it just the fundraisers? It's the fundraisers. We have a membership program, although you don't have to be a member to participate and that's something that we're looking at you know we're evaluating at this point and also I have an online store so you can purchase some um, promotional items. This is very charity focused but uh, would you say that you have competitors? There are other organizations quote-unquote competitors yes but uh, again we are a different business model and it's the charity component that sets us apart. So are you looking to expand are you looking for chapter leaders right now and corporate funding and anybody who wants to donate? Yes. <laughs> Not being All of greedy. the above. All of the above. <laughs> yes. So I need chapter leaders because I run a volunteer, primarily volunteer organization, but we certainly give back and do a lot of promotion for those that come forward and give to the organization. Um, the hallmark of the organization, I want to say real quickly, is when you give, you get back in greater measure. I truly believe that. Now, granted, you need to have money to operate and sustain. So I have a 501c and I also started in an LLC in 2014, so we can sustain this organization and move it forward. So we need corporate sponsors. We need leaders, chapter leaders. Um, we're doing very well in that avenue. But we do need, obviously, you need money to sustain yourself and move forward. I'm a single mom. 
I've done this all on my own with the help of an army of women. Obviously, I haven't done it all, but I'm saying I have devoted now my life to this organization and uh, through the ups and downs. So, yes, we are looking for corporate sponsors and others to help keep this mission going because it's an extremely important issue. It is something that impacts all of our communities and it's an epidemic in this country. Congratulations on your success. That's fantastic. So what are the networking events like? So we do breakfast networking, uh, monthly networking with the chapters, which is great. We welcome all women in business. We, We don't limit it to one person per profession. We run it very professionally. We have a guest speaker every month, so we bring value. Uh, You get to do your 30-second elevator pitch. We also do quarterly happy hour events in the community called BW Nice on Ice, and that's open to the community, less formal, but a, a way to generate and garner more awareness of who we are and our charity partners. And then, of course, the Red Shoe events are tremendous. Those galas go on annually every year, so we're up to about eight or nine Red Shoe events throughout New Jersey and Pennsylvania right now, and that will continue to grow. So we're seeing significant increase, and that the proceeds generated from that event are pushing over $200,000 to our charity partners, all on a grassroots volunteer basis. Uh, So what is the biggest bottleneck in your growth right now? I think it's having the resources and support to be able to open chapters. I'd like to be opening a chapter every month or two chapters and having the resources and support behind that. And with that comes financial (laughs) support to make that happen. So do the chapters have to be run by women? Could men do it if they wanted? The chapters are run by women, but there are other opportunities. Um, corporate sponsors could be men. doesn't matter. They could be involved, and we have men involved in the Red Shoe. We welcome men, but our meetings are run by the women and in executive leadership committees. They're set up as separate entities with their own tax ID number and their own boards. So if somebody's thinking about opening a chapter and participating, what kind of support do they get from you, from the organization, And what kinds of things do they need to keep in mind if they want to participate? I have created manuals. I've created everything from A to Z. So I have a chapter toolkit. So um, somebody that wants to start a chapter or launch the chapter, I will sit down and go through everything that they need to do. Sounds very organized. It's extremely (laughs) organized, very well branded. You don't have to reinvent anything. I've got the chapter toolkit. I go through and I actually help the entire setup for the chapter for the president. I do the outreach to the charity partner. We get them lined up with us. So is there one charity partner per chapter? Yes. And who picks the charity partner? I will do the initial research or it will be a collaborative effort. We'll see. We'll do our due diligence in the county and figure out what charities are available and if it aligns with our mission. So do the women that lead these chapters and are very heavily involved, have they gone through this process of maybe escaping an abusive partner? Absolutely. Um, One out of four women in the United States will be a victim of domestic violence in their lifetime. So if you look at these statistics, it speaks for itself. So many women, yes, have been or know of someone who has been a victim. And it, it impacts men too. One out of seven or eight men will be a victim of domestic violence as well in the United States. And then of course, it's impacting our youth and our children. This is a, you know, a problem where we need to break the cycle. Well, this is great. It's bwnice.org. So this is a nonprofit organization doing wonderful things all across the communities, helping women who have nowhere else to go. And we applaud you for that. So thank you. We have to wrap up now, unfortunately. So you are listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710 with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart, our special guest, Joe Colangelo. If you are just tuning in, 
The podcast comes out tomorrow. This has been a wealth of information. And if you live in the suburbs, you really want to listen to what Joe has to say and go to Boxcar app. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. On to our second pitch with Sonia and Camille Tennell, and they're going to be representing the properlabel.us. You have two minutes. Go. My name is Camille. I founded the proper label with my sister, Sonia. Uh, Sonia, you can say hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> yes. We are French. Our roots are in Africa, in Ivory Coast. But we were born in Paris. We decided to move to America in 2016. Um, we started with one product first. It's called, still called the proper sneaker. And um, we had a lot of exposure and celebrities wearing the sneakers. So we decided to move to America. Uh, you know, America is the most documented lifestyle in filmography. <laughs> so, of course, we moved to America. And uh, we arrived in New York. It was very difficult as an entrepreneur because it's um, we have to learn about the law, the legislation, the... Um, how to build a company, um, finding a law firm on top of it. Plus, we have the administrative uh, situation, the visa, all of this. So it's very, very difficult. So uh, we had to build this company for the past two years. And um, this is the first month of the launch. So we're very proud of it. So what we do exactly, um, we manufacture high-end quality basics. And um, the problem that we're trying to solve is um, we're trying to reduce clothing waste. It's very important that we realize and we're trying to also make sure that people understand that we have to think about our clothes, the use cycle of the clothes, and think about what happens to our clothes when we do not want to wear them anymore. And uh, sometimes we think that we're solving this problem because we give them away to goodwill or charity. But the truth is that you end up in landfills, mostly in Africa, and um it's a lot of, of chemicals coming from those clothes. Uh, so it means water pollution and also the economy in those countries cannot be developed. So it's very important to understand that when we wear clothes, we need to understand what is the next use? What are we doing after we do not want to wear those clothes anymore? So that's how we decided to build the proper label. So as Camille said, we want to contribute to the reduction of fashion waste and also uh, tell consumers that they can recycle, that it might look like hard to do but it's not really so we want to, to kind of like uh, travel with the consumer and show them how to recycle when and how basically because people feel like it's hard to do but it's not really hard to do it can be like buying a cup of coffee in every morning for example so we really want to uh, go along the way you know with the consumer and show them how to do it bring awareness because it's a it's a it's a serious problem but in an idea of giving value, I think that it's interesting to explain how we build this company. In an idea of providing value, the company is not VC-funded. 
we just thought that along the process, we had a lot of rejection. We started, first of all, by trying to raise money. And then we slowly realized, um, I think it was over a course of a year, that we're living in a bubble. And a lot of people and a lot of 18-year-old, 20-year-old think that um, you can have the, the new Uber or the new Facebook and go raising money. Um, just with a bunch of scenario and a financial model. But the goal is that it's about making money. It's about generating revenue. And um, it's very important for all the entrepreneurs out there to understand that the most important is to make money, to be less fancy. Um, I I mean, I always say that we build a proper label of, I was living in my storage, Manhattan Mini Storage, and uh, we build a proper label from there um, because I couldn't find a place without a social security number. It's very difficult. So I was living there. I had a membership at Equinox. I was going there every day, and we managed to to slowly make money producing those sneakers, importing the sneakers here in New York, and then selling them. So I always suggest to um, to just grind, hustle, and not be limited by this idea that we have. We always talk about a million dollars. In New York, we're 9 million people, I think, and uh, there is less than 1 million millionaires. Wow. So That's making a million represents only 3%. This sounds like such an amazing and original concept. So I, I think you're to be congratulated for looking at ways to recycle clothing. Tell me, what are some of the ways that people can recycle clothing or how does participating in your brand help that happen? It depends. First of all, uh, do you want to recycle clothes or do you want to recycle sneakers or footwear? If you want to recycle footwear, First thing, you can go on Google and type um, recycling center next to me, near me. Very important. I believe that in 2019, brands that sell footwear should educate the consumer um, about recycling, which means sending back the sneakers or sending back the footwear that that we do not want to wear anymore. Um, We can go to the Goodwill as well and give our clothes very important to wash them before before giving them. It's very important. I think the purchasers would agree with that. But. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And then uh, participating with the proper label.us, what we do, we have a take-back system. Very easy, very seamless. You go on the website, you just program a pickup. Uh, so far, we started with New York locally, and then we will extend to the West Coast. But uh, you go on the website, take-back system, and then uh, you can send back your clothes. So then what do you guys do with the clothes that you get? So we take them to our sourcing facility. So we partner with the wearable collections. They're based in Brooklyn, and then they sort the clothes. And there is some clothes that we can use in our supply chain again to turn them into new clothes. And there is some that goes into another sorting facility, and we turn them into a sofa or a pillow, or um, the rest we have to destroy, the one that we cannot recycle. And some also are used are giving back to charities because some clothes are still wearable, basically. You know, some people don't know it, so they will take them to give it to charities. How many shoes have you sold? Uh, we sold already more than 400 pair of shoes since we started. And so this is your original design, and then part of the branding is the recycling of those shoes after the consumer is done with them. Yes, so basically what happened with the shoes is that when we have a, like a consumer that buy a pair of shoes... What we want to highlight is that you have to buy, but buy wisely, which means that, let's say, for example, you have a white pair of shoes, and after that, it's not as white as it is as it would anymore, for example. You can send it back to our factory. We can renew them. 
So basically, we don't want to push people to buy more. We want them to buy wisely. So instead of buying a new pair of shoes, you can renew your own pair of shoes. Well, I wish you guys had been around a few years ago. I had this pair of shoes I just loved. And you know what? I wore them out. <laughs> yes, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because also when you buy a new pair of shoes, sometimes it's hard to, in French, we say faire la chaussure which means that it fits you so well sometimes. When you have a new one, it's hard to, you know, make them fit again. But with us, you can keep your same pair of shoes for, like, for a very long time. Just renew them and don't buy a new one. That's the thing. So can I go on your website, which is... Thepropperlabel.us. And find out where to send something to get it refurbished? Yes. yes. So basically, you email us. And then we, uh, every three months, we will be able to kind of gather all shoes together, send them to our warehouse renew them and send back to the consumer at a lower price, very lower price. It's also this idea of just consuming properly. Yes. Um, and that's where the branding also really makes sense for us because we manufacture responsibly, but we did not invent the t-shirt either the product that we sell. Um, but it's more about consuming and thinking properly, taking the time. It's, it's better to spend a little bit more dollars on a nice uh, handmade, good quality organic cotton t-shirts than going for fast fashion that gives you the feeling that you buy high-end clothing while it's not good quality and the workers that work behind and make those clothes are suffering and are being paid poorly. So buying with us means that we're manufacturing responsibly, selling with integrity, and also it's recycled by what we call the proper community. And so yes. what do you do when you recycle the shoes? So when we recycle the shoes, we split the shoes in twos, okay? There is the leather. So for example, our leather is a byproduct of the meat industry. We have also a vegan line, but uh, we take the leather and we recycle the leather. The rubber, it's a little bit more difficult, and um, we are spending right now trying to understand how we can find an alternative of the rubber, sorry, because it's very difficult. We're using also cork, uh, which is a great alternative. But to reply to your question, when we recycle, we take the leather and we try to use the part that can be reused to make again another pair of shoe. It's this idea of circularity in the fashion industry. So do the shoes look completely different? For, uh, the new shoes look completely different from yes. the old ones? or this it's, It depends. Similar, we, have or? To, we, have to, we have the old ones that we sell that are pre-used, pre-worn, and we have a brand new leather that come from the old leather. What is your biggest pain point right now? What do you really need the most help with? What would get you over the hump and being like millionaires. They may already be millionaires, <laughs> very, by the way. They're, they're dressed very well. It's yeah. very important because we always talk about the million all the time. And, and again, just making six figures already is amazing. And I want all the entrepreneurs to understand this. The million, it's not easy. It takes time and we have to deploy patience. Um, now, to reply to your question, I believe that what would help us now with exposure, and that's where marketing comes into play, and the cost of acquisition. But I think that one thing that we do for the company that is very interesting is that we behave as a media company, which means that most of the brands take 900 pictures of the same products on social media and post it. So they want to take, 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 take. We're trying to give. So we make utilitarian content or entertainment, valuable content on social media on a daily basis. And a couple of business questions just to kind of get a better context of your, your business. What do you think you're going to be selling per month now that you've launched? How many shoes? We're building slowly. We um, understand the approach of numbers and how many shoes and everything. But we behave more like a community, right? So 
we don't really talk about customer. We talk about community members. So it's a really slow process. Yes, we have projection, but we're trying to not to be driven by this. It's a little bit like when you raise money, instead of actually doing what you love, you just focus on becoming the best operator for the next funding, the next raise. And it's not something that we do. We have 100% equity of the company. So we're really trying to build yeah. slowly, taking our time. We're in the business of building brand, not sales. Distribution channels? Uh, mostly on our websites. Um, we think that the wholesale business as it exists right now needs to be reinvented. Um, we definitely need it, but we do not uh, focus on this because I don't know if you've seen in the news, Barney's just filed for bankruptcy. Oh, and, no. and I think that the wholesale business is very, very, very difficult. We target a, a fashion-conscious millennial customer that buys online and loves prescription. So um, we really build through content and we sell through our online platform. We have a warehouse in Jersey, and uh, that's how we sell. And the name yeah. of the website again is? www.thepropperlabel.us. Well, I'd like to thank Sonia and Camille Tenon from thepropperlabel.us for joining us this evening. It was a fantastic thank idea. You thank having, you for, thank having, you for having, having us. Thank you so much. And we'll Please be right back after thank this message. You. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Now we're on to our third pitch, and it is Vishnu Saran. Welcome, Vishnu. Hi, everyone. This is Vishnu, founder of VoiceCube. We are focused on solving one important problem, that is teaching kids effectively. Over the years, we observed that the attention span of each generation is diminishing and most of the kids right now are focused and are glued to the screens. And this is one of the biggest complaints that teachers receive from parents. So they watch cartoons, they watch animes and they play all these games uh, where a lot of their time is being consumed. But what it teaches us is that digital content and really engaging content can actually grasp their attention. And we at VoiceCube believe that this is the route to teach them something very important through the form of stories and through the form of interactive learning experiences. So we build software applications on top of Alexa, Google Home and other voice assistants where this content can be hosted. Kids can actually go through a story and be a protagonist in the story. And they have a book in front of them, a workbook which goes along with the app. They have to follow the book while the experience is being broadcasted on the voice assistant. Let me give you an example so that the context is more clear. Imagine a game where the kid has to save the planet from an alien invasion and in the process of doing so, he learns how to code. So we are trying to gamify the learning experience in this format. Also, one more interesting content is we are writing stories about various animals who live in New York City. 
and they go about using the subway the path and they see the museums the central park the brooklyn bridge so we want kids to actually explore the city and uh, know about different places through these animals just like in the similar fashion there is another story about how students go on a hike in yellowstone and learn about animals over there as well so they get to know uh you know what kind of environment and habitat that these creatures live in so we strongly believe that interactive content and stories can change the way kids learn and uh, remember some concept for a long period of time well that's amazing it sounds like a really fantastic idea so the idea is to pair a workbook with alexa and then there's a software application in alexa that leads them through the workbook and leads them through the stories and it's an educational and entertaining experience at the same time. Yeah, that's exactly right. But then they put themselves in the stories too, right? Yes. I'll give you exactly how it works, right? So there's an Alexa device and there are four friends sitting in front of it. Now, the first page of the workbook and all of them have their own workbooks, right? So Alexa says something like, "Okay, now your job is to turn to page number 3 and join the dots from 1 to 10." And when each person joins the dots from 1 to 10, each of them gets a different character so one of them might get a mouse one of them might get a a rabbit one of them might uh, get a parrot so when they turn to the next page the story starts and they have to identify their characters in the comic and when their turn comes to read out their dialogues they have to do that so it's like a listening and reading comprehension and also teamwork all being taught at the same time That is amazing. What a great idea. Like how did you come up with this? I've been working in this voice technology industry for like 2 years now and we've gone through so many use cases from enterprise to consumer. We've talked to so many customers across the globe. We've got clients from the US, we've got clients from Europe, Asia Pacific, Australia and India. One problem that every geography has and we found this out in the world economic forum recently is that teaching kids is a huge challenge and education is the same for the last 30 years so this is time to you know create some disruption in it and use technology to actually make sure that the next generation is learning things differently and is able to not get into this rat race but focus more on very conceptual level of learning what stage is your company in right now We are at a very early stage. We are creating content right now and we are talking with several schools in the US and in India where we are getting already a lot of interest to create pilot programs. When do you expect your first kind of voice application to be released? We are doing it in September. Where are you releasing it? We are hoping to do it here in New York. Is there a reason you need a school or can it be something that um, you know, a kid just orders a workbook and they go through it and the parents do it because you know the parents want them doing productive things in their free time yeah we had a lot of discussions regarding this but we thought a school environment is the perfect setting for a learning experience they have a teacher who's focused on making sure that these kids are on track and uh, i think uh, doing it in the school makes a lot of sense is programming an application in alexa a lot different than just sort of your standard iphone app yes because the iphone app is mostly a graphical user interface whereas on alexa it's completely voice driven so when you're building voice applications you, it's more like a marketing process where you're trying to understand the target personas and keeping yourself in their shoes in order to identify how they would react and what kind of conversations you'll be having with them so the front end part is very dynamic and unexpected right 
So you have to be prepared for all these utterances and classify them into intents before you even know what the user is going to say. That sounds very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing but, you know how to program. But it really is very exciting technology. I mean, I think of Alexa as being limited to, you know, what's the weather outside, play my favorite song, very basic things. But using it as an interactive education tool is really kind of pushing the threshold of technology out there. My hat's off to you for creating this idea. So you want to launch in New York City in September in the New York City school system? Are you talking to the school superintendent? So we have been in talks with several people who are involved with the education department over here and uh, we are progressing very well in the conversations and a lot of these schools from other districts, I think they're called ISDs over here, independent school districts. So I've got a huge network of people who are mentoring me and they've been talking to these people and we are getting pilot interest from Dallas, we are getting pilot interest from California as well. That's where I'm going to spend the next one month while I'm here in US. And we've got schools who are ready to sign up in India, right? Because teaching, especially English in India, is a huge challenge. So schools over there are very excited, but we want to make sure that this product is global in nature. And that's the reason why we are here. What is your role in the company? I'm the founder and CEO. I have a technology background. I've graduated with computer science degree. But mostly I look into the creative aspect of it because I am a writer. So I take care of the content, the story and how the customer interaction has to be there, how the student's experience has to be designed. And technology is taken care of by my team, which sits back in India. A couple of very talented folks who have been doing this voice application for quite some time now. This is so innovative and I hope that you have a lot of success. What is your website? My website is uh, www.voicecube.com where it's V-O-I-C-E-Q-U-B-E dot com. We haven't uh, put up a lot of content about this product yet, but as I said, by September, there's going to be a lot of noise around this. Great. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710 iHeartRadio with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. If you just are tuning in, well, you missed a great show, so you have to listen to the podcast tomorrow. We'll be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearhart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearhartLaw.com. At Gearhart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Hey, what's going on? It is the Mohawk and Real Talk and Living Fully Business Bully, Dave Anderson. And I love Passions to Profit. It's an amazing opportunity for entrepreneurs to put their businesses out there and get real sound advice from two of the best people in the business to help you protect your ideas and furnish your dreams in a way that it's going to be spectacular. You have to check out this show. And please, just don't check out one episode. Don't just check out my episode, even though it's the best. I need you to subscribe right now. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts. I don't care if it's iTunes. 
iTunes. I don't care if it's Google Play. I need you to subscribe because you need to feed your business needs. I'm telling you, this show is going to change the course of your life. Passage to Profit is it. I love it. Go get it. Listen to it. Woo! Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. Remember now, everyone, to go to the Passage to Profit page at GerhartLaw.com. That's spelled G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W, and vote for your favorite project. So to recap, first of all, we had Joe Colangelo, who was our guest, so he's not on the system to vote for, but you can see him on the website, and his app is boxcarapp.com. Our three pitches were Diane Simovich with BWNice.org, an organization that helps women who are in difficult situations get their lives on a right track. Sonia Tano and Camille Tano with Recycled Clothing at ThePropperLabel.us. And Vishnu Saran with a new learning system for kids that is truly innovative at VoiceCube.com, V-O-I-C-E-Q-U-B-E.com. Now Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. Remember, you can only vote once and you have until next Sunday at 8 p.m. to vote. The most overall vote-getter for the show will receive a professionally produced video of their pitch, a $500 value. Of course, we want to say thanks to everyone who participated today. I love it that these people come from Paris from India to iHeart to do the show with us. It's truly amazing, and their ideas are truly amazing, everyone. And the pitches were wonderful, and I want to say thanks again to our guest, Joe Colangelo, who took us over the top in so many ways. Joe, do you have any final words for our listeners? Earlier I referenced that it's a lot easier to go to conferences or to go speak somewhere uh, than it is to make sales calls or to get rejected. And you are here, by the way, so (laughs) you're not making sales calls. I want to highlight, exactly, like... I love the idea of passage to profit. It's not, um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this was the message I want to get out there is at the end of the day, these businesses have to generate money. And this isn't passage to a buyout, passage to going public or a passage to winning a lottery, which is what a lot of people look at startups as, these lottery tickets. If you can build a business that generates profit, it means that you're adding value into other people's lives. And at any point along that way, if you decide, you know, now's the right time to scale up, now's the right time for me to sell a bit of my baby to someone else, you just got to be really careful that you're not selling it to someone who's going to operate it on their terms and that they're going to take that value that you created and say, it's either the moon or bust. It's too valuable to destroy. And so be very careful about, you know, that growth and focus on profit. I applaud you guys for the passage to profit. I think it really resonates with what Boxcar is doing and look forward to getting together again in a few years when hopefully we're very profitable. Those are very powerful words too, Joe. And I want to thank you for that. I can't imagine what it would be like to spend all of that time and energy developing a business, selling it off, making a huge profit, but still it not getting into the right hands and it being run by the wrong people. And maybe the values of the business are changed. So it's no longer really what you created anymore. And so I think it's a combination of profitability, but it's also a little bit more than that. It's what you put into the business, what the team has put in. It's a big part of who they are. And uh, those things need to be respected as well. We would like to thank our incredible media maven, Kenya Gibson, our amazing producer, Noah Fleischman, our awesome engineer, Rob Barretts, and the whole iHeart team. And listeners, don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of pitches. And you can start thinking about what your pitch will be. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gerhart from Gerhart Law on iHeartRadio with Passage to Profit, WOR 710, the voice of New York. <laughs>